Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Tonight on Huckabee, U.S. Senator for Missouri, Josh Hawley. The clever musings of Ross Bennett. John Harriman living the big life. Multi-award winner, singer-songwriter, Gordon Moat. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And... Welcome, everybody. We have a fantastic crowd here in our theater. I got to tell you how happy I am to be here because I spent the biggest part of this past week with all seven of my grandchildren on a trip to the beach. I have spent most of the week dodging flying food, picking up more towels than you'd find in a Super Bowl locker room, and answering the same question 300 times a day. Can I have a snack? I fully expected to be duct taped to a lawn chair in retaliation for not thinking that chocolate ice cream is not a proper breakfast food, or that six popsicles a day would be an adequate allotment of sugar. But folks, I survived. And boy, did I look forward to getting here to the studio this week. Yes! Well, I fully understand that Republicans only hold one half of the legislative branch of government, while the other half is controlled by very liberal Democrats and that the executive branch is led by the most liberal president in history. I wasn't expecting that the fight over the debt ceiling would be something to cheer about, but I did hope that Speaker McCarthy would sit tight and play hard since the Republicans in the House were the only ones to actually pass a bill, put something specific on the table, as opposed to Joe Biden in the Senate, which did nothing Nothing. Biden wouldn't even meet with McCarthy for a hundred days. And he only got interested when the entire economy was at risk over the brinksmanship. Now, I wasn't privy to all the details of the negotiation, so I'm going to be somewhat cautious in my assessment of the deal that was made. But time will tell if we ended up with more symbolism than substance, more caving than taxpayer saving, more surrender than success. The late, great Kenny Rogers had a famous song that reminded us that you have to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. I sure wish Kenny Rogers had been in the room. (laughs) I'm not sure, but I kind of think old Kenny would have for sure walked away and very likely would have run from the deal. Don't know, just thinking but it's probably the best we can get given that Republicans have a very slim majority in the House 
and the Democrats control the Senate, and some Democrat controls the White House. But we doubt that it's Joe Biden. We just don't know who it is. Over 60% of the American people said they didn't want a debt ceiling agreement that didn't have spending cuts. Hey, we slowed some stuff, but we didn't stop it. It's kind of like how Southerners in small towns don't actually stop at stop signs. They just kind of slow down and roll right through them. I get it. Governing is hard. It is. Much harder than campaigning. I've done plenty of both. And both governing and campaigning, they're harder than just commenting on elected officials and the things they do. It's what I do now, so I'll tell you, it's the easiest job of all. So I'm trying to be charitable. I'm going to wait until we understand all the details. But what I've seen so far isn't exactly making me giddy with joy that we have stood up to the big spenders in Congress and said, no, we need to live within a budget that we can afford just like all the taxpayers have to do. What a novel idea. Now, both the far left and the far right, they hate the bill. And most on both sides voted against it, which may be a good sign that no one loved it. And most just had accepted it as better than defaulting on our debt. And that's really the point. Do I want the government to default? Of course not. But neither do I want them to pretend that we can just keep spending money we don't have and borrowing money that we have no way to pay back. Look, our world is crazy enough with retailers like Target choosing to become groomers and entice children to cross-dress and parade perversion like it's as normal as pretending to be a cowboy or a princess. Disneyland, for heaven's sakes, now has a mustached man dressed like a woman to welcome children into one of its attractions. Hey, I don't find anything attractive about that. So with all the crazy happening in the commercial world, I'd just love to see our government act like responsible adults and start building budgets that won't bankrupt our children and grandchildren and turn our nation into a future socialist cesspool. But doesn't look like that's going to be happening anytime soon. Josh Hawley served as Missouri's Attorney General until winning a U.S. Senate seat in 2018. He now serves on some of the most powerful committees in the Senate, and he's become a household name as a champion for conservatism. He's got a brand new book, and I love the title, Manhood, The Masculine Virtues That America Needs. It's already an Amazon bestseller as it should be. And he says it's giving the crying fits to the people on the far left. Would you please welcome to our show for the first time here in Nashville, Senator Josh Hawley. Excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Now, you're one of those guys that voted against this budget deal. I did. Yeah, I sure 17 did. Republicans said, no thanks. Yeah. Um, 30, 31 Republican senators said, no oh, thanks. 31. Only 17 voted for it, which is... I've got it yeah, flipped yeah. backwards there. 
You were one of the 31 that said no. Yeah. What were the deal killers for you? Well, for me, I mean, you were just talking about the debt. I mean, let's just think about for a second who owns a lot of that debt. China. Yeah. So if you ask me what is one of the most, maybe the most important deficit that we face, I think, Mike, it is our trade deficit with China. Every dollar of that trade deficit represents jobs lost in my state. It represents industry loss in this country. It represents manufacturing loss. And Joe Biden's whole policy, as near as I can tell, is to make China rich, America poor. And I look at this deal, I don't see a thing in it to bring down our trade deficit with China, to bring jobs back to this country. I think that's got to be priority one. And this just didn't get the job done. Is that why he basically piddled for 100 days and did no negotiation? Because he knew that if he brought it to the brink, that there would be almost a concession to say, you know what, we've just got to go ahead and get this done to keep from defaulting. I do think that he calculated that there'd be a lot of pressure. You know, And I can tell you, even as we were voting on it, right up until you know, late uh, in the evening, we were being told, oh, we've got to vote this through because how will the markets react? I mean, pressure, 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 yeah. you know, don't, don't, don't question the deal, just vote on it, the classic, you know, vote on it, read it later. So um, I, I do think that that was a part of his strategy, Biden's, or the White House, whoever did the negotiating, it wasn't Biden. No, I, I, th I think that a lot of Americans, we watch the process and it's very difficult for us to get our arms around it. I, I'm not gonna be hypercritical of the people that voted for it on, on the Republican side, because I know that I, I think in good faith, some of them thought, We've got to protect the military. We have to protect certain aspects of Social Security, Medicare. You know, they, they truly believe that that was important. But at the same time, when will we ever see a Congress that will just say, we can't keep doing this? Well, and or, or a Congress, and, and particularly for conservatives, who will do what they said they were going to do when they were running. Mike, I mean, I don't think it's too much to ask. When you go and you, you go to the, the people and you say, give me your vote. I don't think it's too much to ask that when you then go to D.C., you actually keep your word. I mean, that's, that's pretty basic. Yeah. Senator, you went to Washington from the position of attorney general. You successfully sued uh, with Obamacare, particularly to save uh, organizations like Hobby Lobby from having to forego their Christian convictions. You have been clearly known as a First Amendment lawyer's lawyer. Do you get a chance in the Senate to take legal skills and apply them to some of the issues like you did as attorney general and in the courtroom as a practicing attorney? I think particularly where I have the chance to, to use some of my legal skills is now when we have members of the administration come up before us to Congress. And I don't know if you've ever watched any of these hearings. Oh, yeah. But uh, you might notice that they're not exactly what you might call forthcoming in their answers. Gee, I've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, a lot. So... Part of my job is, and I always say, listen, I, I, I'm a nice guy. I try to be a nice guy. But if you come before me in a committee hearing, and if you try to dissemble or not answer the question, I'm not going to be a nice guy. I'm going to press you. I'm going to prosecute you. I'm going to get the answer. Because that's what I'm there to do. That's my job. That's what people want you to do. That's my job. I have seen you take apart some of the social media company CEOs, put them on the spot. I mean, you could see people like Zuckerberg and others wiggling in their seats. I don't think they like you very much, Senator. Oh, oh no. No, I'm not well-liked at all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not well-liked in Washington at all. And, uh, and I take that as... To your as, greatest credit, Well, I hope so, uh, because I didn't go there to be liked. Yeah. But you also serve on some of the most important committees, judiciary being one of them. We watch this stuff with 
the Biden family. I don't want to just say Hunter Biden because it's not about him. This is about his father. And did his father, in fact, get a cut of the business deals that Hunter was making with China and the Ukraine and Russia oligarchs? And if he did, it's the greatest scandal in American political history, bar none. Absolutely. And here's what I'd say about that. If Joe Biden really has nothing to hide, as the White House insists every day ad nauseum, fine, then just cooperate fully with the investigation. But what I notice is, what I notice is, when the House asks for documents, they stonewall them. When you ask for information, they won't answer questions. When they come up before my committee and you put these people under oath, it's, I don't recall, I don't know, I'll get back to you, can we talk about it later? So for somebody who says he has nothing to hide, they sure act like they, they can't find an answer anywhere. It looks yeah. awfully suspicious. I don't think these guys could find an Easter egg if it was painted fluorescent orange in the middle of a 10-foot circle. I just don't think they could because they don't remember. Exactly. They have no memory at all. I want us to get into this incredible book that is just out. It's already an Amazon bestseller. And we're going to do that because it is a bold book. And I, I don't ever remember a sitting U.S. senator writing a book that is as cutting edge as this book that Josh Hawley has written on manhood. Stick around. We've got more with Senator Hawley right after this. Later tonight, the inspiring music from award-winning gospel superstar Gordon Moat. That's tonight on Huckabee. and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. We are visiting with Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. And uh, I was just talking about this book, and, and I'm not kidding. When I saw you that you'd written a book about manhood, and I'm thinking, boy, the people are afraid to talk about this right now because you're going to be called a misogynist, a bigot, uh, but you unapologetically take on the idea that it's wrong to be masculine and say, basically, men ought to put their big boy pants on and act like men. Exactly right. You know, here's, here's the... That's right. Here's, here's what the left says. The left has told our boys and young men for years that to be a man is to be toxic. And if you are a man, you make the world a worse place just by being a man. I think we need to tell the gospel truth. And I say gospel advisedly because the Bible, this, this book is really all about the Bible, what the yeah. Bible says about manhood. And what the Bible says is God created men for a purpose. We need you to take on responsibility. We need you to be protectors and providers and defenders. And if you do that, men, you can transform your lives. You can transform your family and you can transform this nation. And we need men to do that. Yes, we do. I was impressed that in the context of the book, you, again, I mean, with great courage, took on the idea that, look, these are biblical concepts. You did not shy away from the fact that there are really templates in the scripture about what manhood looks like. Exactly. And the book is really me looking at different figures from the Bible, people like Abraham, people like David, people like Joshua, what we can learn from them, role models about what it looks like to be a, a good, strong man. You make a comment in the book that I found just refreshing. You said, men 
should work because men were made by God to do work. That's right. So, you know, we're hearing now that, ah, you really don't need to work and, and a work requirement even to get government benefits. That's a terrible thing. It's not fair. You unapologetically say, you ought to get off the couch and go work. You know, and I think what the government wants, what the left wants, is to replace men and fathers with big government. Yeah. And if you want to change this country, put fathers back in the home. Put fathers back with their children. There's, uh, I wanted to turn to this because there's a whole section, six things that you label as men. The role of husband, father, warrior, builder, priest, king. That's pretty inclusive. Every bit of that is biblical principles of manhood. You know, and I think that as I look at my two little boys, I'm a father of three. I've got a boy who's 10, a boy who's eight, and then my little girl who's two. And I really, I started this book, Mike, because as I looked at my boys and the messages that they hear from the media, from pop culture, from the left, I wanted them to hear these stories about what good, strong men look like. And I want them to have that vision for their lives and to know that to live into the pattern that God calls us to mm-hmm. is to be a man who, whose life will matter and who can leave a legacy and who can live a transformative life. And I think we need to tell men, we need you to do those things. You can change your life, your family's life, this country, if you will take on those roles that God has meant for you to take on. And, and that is, you won't be toxic, you will be transformative and leave this world a different place. Men need to hear that message. Yes, they do. And I also think... You were clear in the book about what's wrong with telling these kids that are young that they can just imagine themselves to be a girl, no. but they're not. And what are we doing to little boys when we, when we tell them that masculinity is wrong and toxic and that they maybe should just address their feminine side and be little girls after all. You know, I, I think that you talk about confusing, and again, I think about my little boys who are 10 and 8, and I mean, like they are they are yeah. boyish boys, you know? I mean, they are climbing the trees, they are out there rough and tumble. I mean, it, 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 they're all boy. And I think to tell, whether it's my boys, any boy, or little girls for that matter, that the way that God made you, that there's something wrong with that, it is to it is just to cut their guts out. I mean, it is to it is to totally confuse them. Um, it is to uh, make them feel like like they they have no identity, they have no purpose. And what the left says constantly now is there's no such thing as male or female. It's just whatever you want to be in the in the moment. And and it it leaves kids totally confused. And then we wonder, Mike, why is it that so many kids are depressed? They are struggling with suicide. They are struggling with drug abuse and alcohol. It's because the left and the culture they have created sends this message to kids that there's something something fundamentally wrong with them the, the way God made them. We need to send just the opposite message. The way God made you is good. Yeah. He has a plan for your life. And if you will live into that plan, you can be a world changer. You know, I want to tell you that uh, being from the state next door to my home state of Arkansas, I, I started watching you when you first got into politics running for attorney general. I said then, this is one of the most articulate, clearly spoken people that I've seen. And I've watched how your career has taken you now to the U.S. Senate. Uh, you really are one of the most powerful and important voices we have in this culture. And this book absolutely gives me the kind of confidence that I was right in saying, this is a special guy. Josh Hawley has written this book called Manhood. I hope you'll get a copy of it. 
Uh, for our audience, the new book, Manhood, is available to buy right now. You can head to Huckabee.tv. We will get you linked up with uh, Josh Hawley's book and his office and social media, everything. And I hope you'll pray for him because he's out there on the point. He truly is for all of us. And we're deeply grateful. Senator, thank you for coming thank to be with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so what much. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Keith Bilbrey is standing right by, and he's going to tell us what's in store in this show tonight. Keith? Well, coming up, a special animal-themed episode of In Case You Missed It. And later, the stand-up comedy of Ross Bennett. You're watching Huckabee. Welcome back, everybody. Great music from Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Coming in with 38 specials, great songs. Caught up in you. Well, the steps of Paul Mediterranean Cruise is coming up, and there are just a few cabins remaining. There's still time for you to sign up, though, for a once-in-a-lifetime all-inclusive trip. It's October the 29th through November the 7th. Our world-class ship will take stops in Italy, Greece, Turkey, and Malta. There'll be some special entertainment, delicious food, and oh yeah, the beauty of the Mediterranean. For more information, go to thegreatesttrip.com. I hope you'll go with me this October. Well, from dancing ostriches to pink elephants, we've got a fantasia of animal stories tonight on In Case You Missed It. there was a theme this week. All of our stories involve animals. First up, Uber released its annual list of things that people left behind in their cars. Oh. And that includes pets. Your kid. No. Keith, I mean, how can someone possibly forget a toy poodle, two turtles, and a pair of hamsters? Wow. I mean, by the time the owner picked up the hamsters, there were 20 of them. That was the best. <laughs> yes, they do. Reproduce yeah. quickly. Well, yes, they do. Here are more weird things people left behind in Ubers. A fog machine, mm -hmm. a fake tooth, and 15 ounces of fake blood. Uber riders also left a unicycle, an ankle monitor, and a slab of raw bluefin tuna, which I sincerely Ooh. hope the driver found quickly. Ooh. <sighs> and among the most common things left behind in Ubers was laptops. But strangely enough, they were all left behind by Hunter Biden. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay, for our next animal story, the seaside town of Depen, Belgium, is trying to improve the negative image of seagulls by holding an annual seagull screeching contest. Ooh, I want to see this. Well, you're going to, whether you want to or not. <laughs> I may not want to after. I don't think you will. Here are some of this year's best seagull impersonators. That last lady sounded like a crow. Yeah. Has she ever been to the beach at all? 
Yeah, I, I, bet oh. the, I bet the one really screeching couldn't talk for a, a, a weekend. You know what that sounded like? It sounded like watching The View. That's what it sounded like. <laughs> oh. that's, that's what it sounded like. Rim shot, please. Hmm. Anyway, it improved the image of seagulls by making them look less annoying compared to the humans. Uh, but by the way, not everybody loves seagulls. A zoo in Blackpool, England says that seagulls are stealing food. So they're advertising for someone to scare them away. They say that applicants for the job of seagull deterrent must be comfortable with wearing this inflatable outfit. Right there. There you go. Wow. I Ray, just I think that's your sign. Yeah, I that's think my so. Calling right there. I'll tell you, Keith, <laughs> if you're comfortable wearing that, yeah. you skipped self-esteem class. That's for <laughs> no sure. doubt about it. I mean, wearing that might make you feel like leaping off a roof. Anyway, <laughs> the zoo figures that any seagulls that aren't scared away will just die laughing. Oh, absolutely, so, yeah. Next, if you're seeing a pink elephant, you're not drunk. If you're seeing two, well, you may be, okay. <laughs> anyway, this is a rare pink elephant spotted on the Mala Mala Reserve in South Africa. Its color is due to a genetic condition. It isn't harmful, and don't worry about him being picked on for being different. He has a pretty good bodyguard. Yeah. I think the little guy will be okay. And also from South Africa, a visitor to Kruger National Park caught some rare video of the dance of the ostriches. Watch this. Oh. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Nice. D does this not remind you of the late 70s? Yeah. Just, it looks like prom, <laughs> prom night at my high school. <laughs> And which one were you, Keith, and all of that? <laughs> I don't want well, to tell. Believe it or not, this is meant to attract females. Uh, yeah. It's sure? not working. Hey, Keith, you were around when disco was uh -huh. hot back yeah, in the 70s. Sure. When you dance like that, did it attract females? Only female ostriches. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. I think this video needs some funky music. Yeah. Trey, can you guys over there in the band help these birds with something to dance to? Yeah. You got something? Seriously? Yeah. Seriously. Night, night. Okay. Go for Cut it. Cut it loose. Oh, man. Wow. That is just what that needed. Absolutely. Man, you ask and the band delivers. Trey and the Music City Connection, thank you guys. Mm. Well, finally, we have saved the best animal dancers for last, courtesy of Sunflower Farm Creamery. Here was a video that went viral of baby goats leaping in slow motion, set to the music of Tchaikovsky. Let's watch Ooh. this. Oh, what form. What amazing capacity for dance muse. I can see them at the opera house now. I believe they will make their mark in more ways than one. <laughs> Man, these kids have talent. Did you hear that? These kids. Uh, yes. I'd say they are the greatest of all time, our goat for short. <laughs> because they are short goats, right? Uh, well, you know what I have to say about that? What? <laughs> Pretty good, what? Okay, before these jokes get your goat and you tell us to take a flying leap, we're going to end this bit. But just remember, we read the news.
Well, coming up, the comedy of Ross Bennett. And later, John Harum talks about the persecution of Christians in Afghanistan. You're watching Huckabee. Well, coming up a little later, we've got the piano man, Gordon Moat. Now, Keith, I know that you have known Gordon a long time, haven't you? Yeah, he, he and I worked at the Grand Ole Opry together. He was uh, uh, Porter Wagner's piano player. Ah. And uh, he is a terrific musician, a great guy, and he also does a spot-on impression of his boss, Porter Wagner, and you've got to ask him to do it. I will do it because I used to be forced to watch Porter Wagner every Saturday at my house. <laughs> I, I had him on, on the radio one time, and we actually called somebody, and, and they thought it was Porter Wagner talking to him on the phone. That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, we'll ask him about that when yeah. he's here in just a little bit. Uh, Ross Bennett is one of the funniest clean comics that's working today, and his hair is quite possibly the tallest of any comedian that is performing these days. His hilarious dry bar comedy special is called Comedy for the Rest of Us. All the way from New York, would you please welcome a very funny guy, Ross Bennett. Well, hello. My name is Ross. I'm, uh, I'm a New Yorker, uh, but I'm I'm not from the New York that you think of when you think of New York. I'm from what I call, uh, I'm not from New York City. I'm from what I call New York country, the rural western part of New York State, about 200 miles west of New York City. Uh, out where I'm from, two kinds of guys, two kinds of guys. Guys who go hunting and guys who go hunting. <laughs> now, do you know the difference between hunting and hunting? Hunting is actually done for the good of the animals. In, in the fall, you must cull the herd. Hunting, eh, that's a little different. Hunting involves liquor and flashlights. <laughs> if you've ever been on a two-lane county road and you see a sign with a bunch of bullet holes, that's hunting right there. <laughs> My hometown is Hornell, New York. Hornell, H-O-R-N-E-L-L. -L. Hornell is a small town located just on the outskirts of a Walmart. <laughs> I, I don't know about you folks, when I shop at a Walmart, I, I, I don't know what I need until I'm in the store. Because <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't shop like my father. My dad, uh, he was very frugal. He had gone through the Great Depression. When he went shopping, he always had a list and he would only purchase what was on the list. When I go shopping, I don't have a list. I have an hour. <laughs> I just grab a cart. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Next thing, I'm in the checkout line. I look at my cart. It's like coming to out of an alcoholic blackout. Like, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking of. I always got stuff I don't need. I got, I got, I got like a nursing bra. I've got, I've got a nursing bra and a canoe. <laughs> you don't, by the way, you don't like, like my dad. 
Uh, my dad was a uh, retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel, a nice, mellow guy. <laughs> I, uh, I come from a military family. Uh, uh, my, my dad was in World War II. My grandfather was in the Army during World War I. I enlisted in the Army out of high school in 1973, just missed having to go to Vietnam, but I was in time for our country's war on drugs. Technically, I fought for the other side, but I showed up. I showed up. That's the important thing. I didn't shirk my duty. My father's generation was called the greatest generation, the generation that fought and won World War II. And they were great at winning World War II. When you think about it, these people literally saved the world. But, but, the, but the skills that they needed to crush fascism didn't necessarily transfer to raising a little boy. <laughs> Combat reflexes, necessary in battle, unnecessary at dinner. <laughs> it's dinner, drop a potato, pick it up. Don't jump on it and tell the kids to run. <laughs> Give you an idea of my father's reflexes, I once spilled a glass of milk at dinner. My dad yelled at me before the milk hit the table. You gotta visualize the milk is literally arcing in the air and like a drill instructor, he's out of his chair, he's in my face. What do you think you're doing there, bonehead? I got my eye on you, boy. <laughs> Drop down, give me 10 push-ups. I said, get out of that high chair. Look at you. Look at you. You're a baby. You're acting like a little baby. <laughs> I might have been the only guy to enlist in the Army who already had PTSD. <laughs> anyway. I'm at that age, by the way. All men get to this age. I don't know if women ever get to this age, but all men get to this age. What, am I what age am I talking about? I'm at the age I'm starting to make noises <laughs> when I don't want to make noises. <laughs> if I do any kind of work around the house, I make two noises. I make one noise when I do the work, see? And then another noise about a second later. And it sounds like I'm thinking about the work that I just did. I'll show you, you'll get, you'll, you'll get it, watch it. Ah. Ah. That's it, that's the whole joke. Everything I do, two noises. I move a lamp on my house, a little floor lamp. Ah. Ah. You know, I, uh, I won't tell you how old I am. It's actually bad luck in show business to reveal your age to an audience. Uh, but I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. I recently purchased a bed, and the bed came with a 20-year warranty. As I paid for it, I'm thinking to myself, this is my deathbed. So uh, I went ahead and got a pillow top. I did. It's even great, thank you for letting me entertain you. Good night. <laughs> oh. Outstanding. Thank you, Dr. Ross. That was awesome.
I love the part about the noises because there's a lot of us in here who can relate to that for sure. Hey, if you'd like to get more from Ross Bennett, including his social media links and his CD that you're going to want to get called Not If You Were the Last Man on Earth, as well as his dry bar special comedy for the rest of us, just go to Huckabee.tv. We have links to all of those materials. Please get them. It'll make you laugh, and you need some of that. Right now, Keith isn't going to make us laugh, but he is going to tell us what's coming up on the rest of the show. Well, coming up, John Harriman talks about Christian outreach in Afghanistan. Don't go away. You're watching Huckabee. TV and get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. John Harrima is CEO of Big Life Global. Now, their mission for the last 20 years, reach lost souls by shining Christ's light into the world's darkest places. Just one of those places is Afghanistan, where a dire situation is unfolding as the Taliban continue to tighten their control over the country and persecute, even murder Christian believers. Please welcome to the show a dear friend, John Harima of Big Life. John, good to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. I love the history of the organization. You were a successful business guy, and somebody gave you a book that said, don't live a little life, and it changed your life. So you just walked away from a successful business career and started this Christian organization. Yeah, it's actually about, you know, North Africa, Middle East, Central Asia, two-thirds of the world's population, 97% of the least evangelized people in the world, less than 5% of missions work, less than 2% of missions dollars. And, you know, as, as a businessman, that made no sense to me. Yeah. And uh, there was a question in the book. It said, are you leading a little life in your own little world? Or are you willing to lead a big life, life with a big kingdom impact? My wife, Kathy, and I just realized that it was all about us. Wow. And we had to make ourselves available. Chuck Colson was a big influence on you. You were close friends with Chuck. And I know that his influence helped to launch Big Life and give it world, a world vision for reaching people. Well, you know, we're a bunch of nobodies. And uh, when Chuck wrapped his arms around Big Life, it gave us instant credibility. And people started asking questions. And then he also introduced us to you, who yeah. uh, helped us raise awareness quite a bit over the last 15 years it's been now. So I've loved what you do, John. And, and I've never heard of anyone doing quite what you do. You go into places like Iran. You start working with kids just playing basketball and build relationships that ultimately lead into presentation of the gospel. We empower believers worldwide to reach and disciple their own people. You know, who's the best people to reach Pakistan is Pakistanis. Yeah. They know the language. They know the culture. They don't get homesick. But over the last couple of years, we realized when things get really difficult, when everybody else is running away, the locals run towards the danger because they're passionate about their own people. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's the difference between, a, I guess, a traditional mission organization where missionaries from, let's say, the U.S., and it's wonderful they do, but they go into an area, they don't know the language, they don't know the people, they don't, you know, they're, they're foreigners. You train those folks who already are there, but the most remarkable thing is you're doing work in maybe one of the darkest places on earth, Afghanistan. How did you even get into the country to start? You know, we, um, we actually started in that part of the world in Pakistan, and many of our guys now were former extremists. 
And when they became believers, they had a passion to reach Taliban or Al-Qaeda. One of our main guys now is a former Al-Qaeda leader who's the greatest disciple maker I've ever seen in my life. Wow. But, you know, it went across the country borders and it started in Afghanistan. And, um, you know, it just uh, it's, it's been some of our fastest growing areas for the last 10 years. But, John, these people are risking their lives when they once were Al-Qaeda or Taliban and then they come to Jesus they start telling their friends and family about it. I, I mean, that's, that puts them in harm's way. There's a huge risk. I mean, we've lost 15 of our leaders even in the last few weeks. Oh. Um, as difficult as that is, it's usually a family member who steps in and says, we're not going to let that murder be in vain. Mm-hmm. We're not going to let the enemy win. And they step up and the Lord uses them to raise it to a new level. You know, it's, just, it's very difficult, but Scripture tells us you know, church grows through persecution. How do you get your initial contacts in a place like Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, these tough places? Yeah, we typically go in and look for that Luke 10 person of peace. We're looking mm. for that person who has influence over others, who the Lord's already stirring in. And then we use, we use Jesus' strategy, which is pour into the few. You know, our, our goal is to get the multiplication to the fourth, fifth, sixth generation. But, you know, we start pouring into the few and we, you know, we feel like if we carry, if we, if if we worry about the depth, yeah. the Lord's going to take care of the breath. And, and, you know, I think when we first met, we were serving in 13 countries. And, yeah. now, you know, the Lord's allowed us to grow into 160 countries just by oh. focusing on the few. So, What can people do to be part of big life? Because, I mean, it's not, you're not asking people to go and spend the next 12 years serving on a mission field, per se. So how do people help you get this into these very dark and tough places? Yeah, obviously, it's very dangerous and very difficult for our people. So prayer is number one. Always uh, need more prayer. There's ways to sign up for the prayer email on our webpage. But, you know, we were able to relocate 50, over 50,000 Afghans once the country fell a year and a 50, half ago. 50,000. That cost about $5 million, which wasn't in our budget, but it cost yeah. $5 million. Now there's uh, over 8,000 underground believers in Afghanistan that are being targeted, but the costs have been gouged so much. It's almost the same price for 8000 it was for fifty over 50000 So obviously, financially, there's you know a huge burden there too that people can get involved in. John, I, the, from the very first time I ever met you and heard, Chuck Colson was the one who told me about what you were doing. And, you know, I, I was just stunned by the, the scope of it, and I still am. And I want to tell you how much I appreciate you're sharing Big Life with us here. For our audience, if you want to learn more about the work that Big Life is doing all over the world, and I didn't realize there were that many countries they're working in now, we have the link set up, as always, at Huckabee.tv, and I hope you'll check it out and be a part of Big Life. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to connect us with the rest of the show. Well, after the break, gospel legend Gordon Mode is here to entertain us. Don't go away. You're watching Huckabee. for singer-songwriter Bree Carter and Illusions by Shimshi. Welcome back, everybody. Gordon Mote is one of the most sought-after pianists, producers, and vocalists in country as well as gospel music. 
He has multiple awards and nominations, including the Doves and the Grammys. He's a three-time ACM Keyboard Player of the Year award winner. He has played with and recorded with everyone from George Strait to Lionel Richie to Kid Rock. He's got a brand new album. It's called Where You Lead Me. Please welcome back to the show. We love him. Gordon Moe. Thank you, Governor. Great having you here. Oh, yeah. You know, Keith and I were talking about your impersonation of Porter Wagner that you played for years ago. And he says, Keith swears you've got a spot-on impersonation of Porter Wagner. This is a wonderful audience here. Uh, <laughs> you're wonderful, unbelievable, <laughs> outstanding. And uh, uh, if you, son, if you ever uh, uh, run for uh, public office again, son, you got my vote. <laughs> outstanding. That is Porter Wagner. <laughs> you know, when I think of all these people you have performed with, recorded with, produced. I mean, it runs the spectrum. I don't know of anyone who has gone from Lionel Richie to George Strait. I mean, that, my friend, is quite the, the breadth of music. Seriously, as a kid, I listened to so many different types of music and was influenced by so many entertainers and found something to love about so many different types of music. And so when you listen to one of my albums, you're going to find so many different types of music. You don't like the first song, keep listening, you'll maybe like the next one. You know, I, I always have admired the fact you're blind from birth, but you started playing keyboards at the age of three. Yeah. And, and yeah. something was clicking in Gordon Moat's life. I mean, did you understand at that age that you were a, a prodigy? That No, no. We, we, I, I'm from a little country town in Alabama, and I don't even know that we know that word there. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good thing to, to be a prodigy. It's a wonderful thing. It, it, it's really, you know, three-year-olds don't just sit down and start playing. That's how I knew it was a God thing. Yeah. But I am grateful for the gift. I know all good things come from the Lord, and I give him all the credit. I, I, don't, I don't take any of the credit. I've tried to take what he's given me, and, and get better at it, uh, but I am so grateful for the gift. You're as good as there ever has been, good as there ever will be. <laughs> Gordon Moat is a treasure. Thank you. And this new album, Where You Lead Me, just out, uh, it is just extraordinary. And I love what he just said. If somehow the first song doesn't light your fire, melt your butter, the next one will. But I have a feeling that all of them will. Right now, Gordon is going to honor us with a song. So while we get ready, Keith, why don't you tell our viewers how they can get this wonderful new album? Well, just go to Huckabee.tv and we'll connect you to all of Gordon Moat's music, including his brand new album, Where You Lead Me. Now, performing I Can't Sing the Blues with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection and Mike on Bass, here's Gordon Moat. Thank you, Keith. Tears 
a smile where there hadn't been one in a long, long while. Good things in store. Thank the Lord. I can't sing the blues no more. That old whimper wheel with his mournful song. That old willow tree weeping in the rain that once was a picture of me. Despair and misery were companions to me. They kept me alone in my soul. But since Jesus moved in, And I can't sing the blues no more. Ah, let it eat, tell it. Wait a Treasures you can't see Buried in my heart These rhymes and melodies Ain't what they used to be Cause I can't sing The blues no more That old river will With his mournful song City! 